98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Three o'clock hour of the Burns and Gambo Show. John Gambadero, Dave Burns here with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Next up for the one and one Arizona Cardinals, their nemesis, the Los Angeles Rams, who are one and one themselves so far on the season, humiliated in the opener on that Thursday night against the Buffalo Bills. Which doesn't look so bad right now. Which doesn't look so bad right I now. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to humiliate almost everybody they play. Scratching out a win against the Atlanta Falcons, a game that they were leading 31 to 10 with about 12 minutes was to it go to in the game. It was 28 to 3 at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I was to say 28 to 3. Right, it's easier to say 28. I was just thinking, yeah. you know, with 12 minutes to go, you're chasing three touchdowns. You feel pretty good about your chance to win. Uh, and yet it was, uh, boy, it was a mess for LA to finish out that game. And of course, we know the history between these two teams. We know what happened in the playoff game last year. We know that the win there in week four was maybe, for my money, Anyway, we talked about this yesterday. Maybe the crowning achievement of the Cliff and Kyler era. You know, that you were able to go in LA and end that horrible streak that you had against them. And and but you were telling me yesterday that the Cardinals haven't beaten the Rams here at home since they were the St. Louis Rams, right? 2014. Insane. 2014. I heard Craig Grealu talking about that on the postgame show. The last time that they beat them here, two thousand that's eight years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago. It's been a while. It's been a minute. The St. Louis Rams. Uh-huh. Was Kurt Warner the quarterback on that team? No, he was not back in 2014. Was it Ferragamo? No, it was not Ferragamo. Pat Hayden? Not him either. No, no. That's You're, you're going back a little further than that. No, no they were LA Rams too, by the way. Yeah, they were. Um, they win. They beat the Falcons. 31-27. But for the Cardinals, this becomes another big test. Now, let's take a few minutes and let's look at this Rams team. And let's kind of figure out what we're dealing with here. Yeah. And let's let's start at the top. Let's start with the quarterback, Matthew Stafford. Struggling. Who is struggling? And, and there's a lot of concerns about his elbow and whether he's up to snuff right now injury-wise. The injury or the turnover bug, the interception bug, has really bitten him so far the first two games of the season. He's already got five of them. And a lot of those turnovers mattered very much in that game against Atlanta this past weekend. Yeah, he talked about how frustrated he is with the interceptions, but now you got to try to find a solution. You know, he leads the league in interception with five. You know, had three picks in the season opening blowout to the Bills. Two more against Atlanta. The second helped the Falcons score their first touchdown before that big rally. So, But he's also been a guy his entire career that's a little bit more of a risk taker than a lot of other quarterbacks. He's that guy that tries to make plays out of nothing. But that could, you know, that's that could doom you right if you if you have too many of those things that could doom you so he's you know he's struggling again with that interception bug that's been probably one of the things that's held him back a lot in his career yeah and and you know trying to get Allen Robinson kind of integrated in the offense trying to deal with an offense where you don't have your starting left tackle right is is another thing now there's injuries on that offensive line you've got to deal with you don't have OBJ he was a one of the most impressive, I think, acquisitions that any team made last year because we we knew all of the baggage that OBJ brought with him. He brought none of that to the LA Rams. He came to the Rams. He was like a different guy. Yeah. And there's a lot 
of people in and around the business who believe they really miss OBJ. And, they, and that he'll end up back there, too. And, and that he could end up back there when it's all said and done. something about like they still have his locker out there? I believe that's the case. Yeah, that they really miss Von Miller. Yeah. And that those two acquisitions were kind of what made the Rams special. And now that those two guys aren't there, then maybe the Rams aren't as special as they were because they don't have those two dudes anymore. Yeah, you know, there was a time last year during their, you know, their Super Bowl run where they lost three straight games. Middle of the year, they lost to the Titans, the 49ers, and the Packers. And the games weren't even close. And Stafford, during that time, nine times he was sacked, five interceptions in those games. So he got sacked nine times. He had five interceptions. He lost the fumble. They lost to the 49ers, the Titans, the 49ers, and the Packers. But then they went on that winning streak. And it included a win over the Cardinals. And they won five straight. So that was one of the things about about Stafford, right? He's Sometimes he goes through these stretches where he just doesn't play well. But it's usually not over the course of a full season. It's just like he'll have a bad stretch for a few games here and there. And I don't think he's played well yet. I don't think they've played well yet. They're probably a team that needs to get used to some new guys because they you know, clearly are a different team without Whitworth, without OBJ, without Von Miller, and, you know, trying to incorporate some new guys like Allen Robinson, who did nothing in the first game, but they got him a little more active in this second yeah, game. Yeah, they, they obviously were making an, an, an attempt to target him more, to target him early in the game. They were making an attempt to get Cam Akers more involved quickly in that game. That was very, very obvious. They're just trying to get those guys involved. I think the other big thing is just the injury situation right now. Their starting guard is having season-ending ankle injury and surgery. Their cornerback is really dicey going into the game. Troy Hill, Kobe Durant, neither one one of them, you know, both might not play in that game. So they're going with another offensive line combination. They might have to dig deep and use a rookie corner or a second year player at corner if both Troy Hill and Kobe Durant can't go. So there are, and if we're just calling it like it is, look, I, I know the Cardinals have played six really bad quarters of football or halves or quarters of football and two really good quarters. The Rams have not looked good this year. They've not, they've not looked like the pedigree of a defending Super Bowl champs. It, it looks like it's going to be a struggle for them to repeat. And you kind of add that all up, and, and it's, it feels like the Cardinals have a better shot at this game than maybe I would have given them credit for before this past Yeah, weekend. and I think part of that is just the way the Cardinals finished that game and the way the Rams finished their game. Like, the Rams totally collapsed at the end of their game. It gave yeah. up, what, 17 points in that fourth quarter, and they needed an end zone interception to kind of stave off the Falcons. And then the Cardinals came roaring back. So it is. I mean, it's just, it's, it changes almost like minute by minute the way you feel about these certain teams, or week by week, at least with us. I mean, I mean, it looked like the Cardinals were dead and buried when they got down 20 to nothing in the football game, and it came back and they won. And then, you know, the Rams were up big, and then they struggled. They barely won against the Falcons. The Falcons are no good. They're going to have one of the top five picks in the draft probably. Probably. So, yeah, I think that the Rams are trending down. I think the Cardinals are trending up a little bit. Trayvon Mullen, will, from what I'm hearing, Trayvon Mullen will be back this week. Okay. So they'll get Trayvon Mullen back. Um, you know, the Kennard thing is interesting, promoting him from the practice squad and bringing him up. I don't think that has anything to do with any of the wide receivers. But I do think that, Trey, from what I'm hearing, Trayvon Mullen is expected to be back this week. So starting to get those reinforcements back because, obviously, they started the first couple of weeks of the season with a pretty depleted roster. Yeah. 
Yeah, and James Conner, of course, is one to look at, but Daryl Williams played well in his place. You know, Benjamin played well in his place. Look, there's nothing the Cardinals can do on Sunday, in my opinion. You tell me whether you agree with this or not. There's nothing the Cardinals can do on Sunday to avenge what happened in the playoffs. Nothing. I mean, that, that humiliation, that's a stain that doesn't come out, okay? What beating the L.A. Rams can do, if the Cardinals are able to do it this Sunday, I think it can send a message to the Rams and the Cardinals that they are capable of winning this division. I think that's, and maybe they don't need sure. that message sent, but I think if you can beat the team that was considered to be the favorite to win the, the NFC West, if you can beat them, it does nothing to avenge what happened last year, but it does let you know you are capable of winning that division this year. If you yeah, the there's Cardinals. no separation that's going to happen now, but just say you win that game against the Rams, you come back and you beat Carolina, you're three and one. Okay. You're in first place because nobody else is going to have, uh, zero losses. So you're, you're four games in, you got through the t- a really tough part of the schedule and you're three and what? So if you do win this game, and it's a lot to ask because of their failures against the Rams, but um, if they do win it and they come back and they take care of business against Carolina, you're talking about a three and one football team that, yeah, I mean, after four games, you're it's about 25% of the season through. You, you, your eyes are on trying to win a division. Week three of Bix Picks, it's underway. Text the word PICK to 62620. Sign up, compete against Dan Bickley. It's your chance at the grand prize 75 inch TV, courtesy of Corona Extra. Weekly winners will also get an NFL jersey of their choice plus a $50 gift. Gift card to cold beers and cheeseburgers. Again, text the word PICK to 620-620. We didn't talk about it much yesterday because not much about it happened yesterday. But another NBA player has now spoken up following the suspension of Robert Sarver. And he might have said the most significant thing yet. And we'll tell you what it is coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. When last we left the Robert Sarver Phoenix Suns story, PayPal, the primary jersey sponsor of the Phoenix Suns, had announced that as long as Robert Sarver is running the Suns, they will not be financially affiliated with the Suns in any way. That happened on Friday. We kind of went into the weekend wondering if others were going to follow, if other companies were going to follow suit. Now, outside of a relatively, you know, kind of average statement from Kia in which they didn't make any threats like PayPal did, we haven't seen anything over the weekend, unless there's something I missed. No. I don't believe anybody's no. really come out and threatened to boycott or threatened anything like that. Therefore, the Robert Sarver situation was kind of quiet over the weekend. There wasn't a lot that happened. There wasn't a lot of new that happened. You didn't hear from any other sponsors. No, no. You didn't hear from any of the minority owners. No. Nope. So we've still only heard from John Najafi. He's the only one. Um, so yeah, it was very, very quiet until Draymond Green decided and, to speak out about the situation. Until Draymond Green and this is from his podcast, The Draymond Green Show. Uh, he says this Robert Sarver report goes against everything the NBA stands for. For everything that the NBA stands against and stand for this report that came out last week is the total opposite of everything that the NBA stands for and so to think that someone like Robert Sarver that's acting in that manner can continue to represent us that's strong strong as you would expect mm-hmm. Draymond sure. Green 
Right? Yeah. As you'd expect. And, and, he, and he even pointed out in a cut that I don't have, quote, I know we live in a world where you could do like a million good things and one bad thing and people paint you to be a bad person. He does not think this paints Adam Silver or the NBA as these bad people, as if all the decisions they've made up until this point have been incredible. And this one kind of fell short. And that's when he said, but the, the, everything the NBA stands for, for this report to come out and for Robert Sarver to be in the middle of it, you can't continue you to have him acting in this role. Then he kind of came with what we call the money quote. And the money quote is basically this. Let's pose a vote with the owners and just see who votes what. I saw where Commissioner Silver said, I've taken the steps that I can take, the maximum penalty that I can hand out. I hand it out. And now it falls on, you know, in order for him to be kicked out as an owner of an of a franchise, and forced to sell, that that vote would fall on two-thirds of the other owners of these assets. And so what I would say is then why don't we pose a vote? Because that is definitely an, an offense that's probably grounds for force, being forced to sell. It's 75%, not two-thirds. Right. So it's three-quarters, 75%. Here's the thing. There's definitely been a lot of uh, criticism. There's a lot, been a lot of blowback about it. But Adam Silver laid out his punishment. It's a one-year ban, and it's a $10 million fine. He decided not. It's Adam Silver's choice. He decided not to bring it up to a vote. Maybe he felt like he didn't have the votes out there. Now, would, would are there the question that I would have, are there owners out there that – were because Adam Silver worked for the owners. Yes, I'm sure all the owners knew what the punishment was going to be. He wasn't a hey. Did you see what Adam Silver did? No, I think all the owners probably knew this is the punishment that I'm going to have for Robert Sarver. It's going to be a one year ban, ten million dollar fine, and and that's it. Has there been any owners that would have changed their mind over the course of the last seven to ten days based on what they've heard, based on PayPal, based on John Najafi, based on Draymond Green, based on Chris Paul, based on others, LeBron James? Would anybody say, "Okay, I would, you know, ten days ago, I wouldn't have been in favor of of kicking him out. But now I would be. I don't know. But I don't think that I don't personally don't think it goes to a vote. I think Adam Silver. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he's the best commissioner out of all the major sports. And I think this is the punishment. And as we said, I'm going to punt, but I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. I'm going to see what happens because you may not need to have a vote of the owners and kick him out. I mean, it may happen naturally if other things happen. Now, you already have one sponsor paying $3 million a year that wants no part of being with the organization after next year if Robert comes back. You still have to feel, you, have, you know, we have media day coming up on Monday, next right. Monday. Week from today. We have media day. We'll see what happens there. We haven't heard from Monty. We haven't heard from James. So I, I think that, you know, organically, like if something happens, it'll happen that way. Not let's force a vote. Yeah. And I think and I, you're right. I agree with what you're saying. I, I think Green's larger point was sort of let's just have a vote so we can kind of see who's on our side, and who's not, you know, not not a vote to get Robert Server out. But let's have a vote just to see what owners are voting to not vote. About, they don't want right? that. And of course they don't. Yeah. I, and Green's Green's whole point is let's expose it. Let's find out what other owners are supporting. Robert Sarver are keeping Robert Sarver in the league so that we can turn our attention to them. And I think that's kind of why he wants the vote, knowing full well it's not going to pass. But just but you're right. And I think the biggest point is the one you just said, the idea of of who changed their mind, you know, like a week ago. 
I'm sure all the owners knew what the punishment was, but you're right. In the time since, who's changed their mind? And what's yet to come? I mean, I'm frankly surprised we haven't heard from another sponsor or two over the weekend. I was kind of expecting to. I'm kind of surprised that we still haven't heard from Devin or Monty or James. And I know Media Day is just a week away and there's plenty of opportunity there. But I've been, I was a little surprised the story went as dark as it did over the weekend. I thought there'd be more and it feels like. More traction. It's lost a little bit of its momentum nationally or even locally that it doesn't, just doesn't have the same. Maybe that's because the Cardinals won or Herm Edwards got fired. The news cycle worked Now, one owner came out and supported John Najafi's statement, and that, I think, is the telltale sign. There are, you know, 12 or 13, I believe, minority owners, and John Najafi had his statement, and you did not hear, not even his brother Francis Najafi, you did not hear from any of the the other owners who said, I support John's statement. Nobody said that. And we haven't had one other sponsor outside of PayPal say, I'm not going to be a part of the Phoenix Suns, you know, going forward after, if Robert comes back, just the one. So you're right. It ha- it was a very quiet weekend on that front. Feels like it's lost some of its steam. Yeah. Uh, as far as on the court goes, mm-hmm. Brian Windhorst yesterday on NBA Today talking about the Suns and Jay Crowder. They are conducting business there in trade negotiations right now. A lot of them are centered around Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a player who is available on the market right now. Whether or not there's going to be a deal for him that materializes before now and next week's trade deadline, that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but Jay Crowder is a guy in the last year of his contract, and you know, it's possible that they could do a deal that way would bring back more money on and Bobby and folks that I'm talking to they don't get the sense that the Suns are afraid to continue to spend um, that they may be spending more uh, it would not surprise me if the Suns get involved in the negotiations for uh, you know Boyan Bogdanovich mm-hmm. from the Utah Jazz who is available on the market right now several teams are bidding for him I know that might come as a surprise to people nationally but if you've been listening to the Burns and Gambo show you shouldn't be surprised everything you just said yeah you shouldn't be surprised that they're of their willingness to take on more money I wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if the trade of Jay Crowder, it's not a salary dump. I think it's because they want to take on more money because they do view this yeah. as a contention window, you know, a championship contending window. Yeah, this is, we've, we've said this stuff for two weeks now. Um, the Suns could be trading Jay Crowder. I know he's been, uh, Jay was mentioned in the, the discussions with the Utah Jazz. We were the first to report that the Jazz, uh, the Suns and Jazz were talking about Boyan Bogdanovich and what it would take to get him. So um, a lot of the stuff you hear on ESPN, if you, if you listen to this show, they're about two weeks late to the party on that stuff. Now I haven't heard anything new. I still think it's 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 going to be difficult for the uh, Suns to get Bogdanovich because there are about four or five other teams that are in play there. I don't yeah. know if they're out of it yet. I'll try to check on that within the next, next day or so. More than anything, I'm curious if it's somebody else other than Bogdanovich. If the trade of Jay Crowder, I mean, I know we're hyper focused on Boyan Bogdanovich, and rightfully so. I think he's a difference maker, and so do you. I wonder if there's somebody else. You know, somebody else that they're looking to add that's not Boyan Bogdanovich. That's the easy, obvious one. Is there somebody from Miami they're looking at? Is there another team that wants more depth at power forward? And is there another player out there the Suns could add that they feel like who could do the same things as Bogdanovich, but who maybe doesn't cost $20 million? I don't know. I'm just, I don't have a name in mind. I'm just throwing out the idea that maybe it's somebody other than Bogdanovich who might be the target Jake Crowder trade. Bogdanovich makes so much sense for so many reasons, right? His ability to play off the ball, his scoring. So, um, but I think it just 
might be hard to get him because there's so many other teams that do like him. I feel like we spoke it into existence. The Diamondbacks are now trailing 5-3, and oh, look at that. Oh, they're I winning 5-3. Oh, they're winning 5-3, but now it's tied 5-5 because oh Kevin Ginkle just gave up. No, that was just one run that scored. Five, they're now four. winning 5-4. The bases are loaded. With there's nobody, nobody out for out. the Dodgers. Yeah, what the hell? Just, what, I was 5-1. I was talking to you a minute ago. It was 5-1. to one. Errors, bad relief pitching, just, you know. Diamondback pretty stuff. Pretty sus, isn't I it? This- <laughs> Man, that's that, sus. That 5-1 lead that, is pretty sus. That bullpen is so sus. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Two old guys trying to sound young. That was pretty sus. Man. <laughs> when we come back. Oh, I- Caleb Smith. Great job by him. Yeah, it was Caleb Smith. Now it's Kevin Ginkle, and the bases are still loaded. The tying run is at third. The go-ahead run is at second. There's not a soul out in the bottom of the eighth. This Jeez. one is going to go south in a hurry. <sighs> Isaiah Simmons went from calling the defense to calling for an opportunity to be on the field with the defense. How did we get here? That's coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Ten seconds ago, I said to Gambo, oh, oh my God, it was an error. Joe Mantiply just gave up the go-ahead run, and Gambo said, incredible. As if it were the most unincredible thing ever. As if it were totally expected. It's got to be an error on Josh Rojas. I believe right that's there. his third of the game. You blew it! I think Is that's, that his third I error of the game? I think that's his third of the game. You think the entire bottom of the eighth has just been one big error. How many errors have there been in a sitting? Every time I look up, something bad's happening. He's already, exact he's already got two. And I looked at it earlier, and he had two already. That's an error. If they, so, call, if they rule out a hit, that's stupid. Uh, they're calling it an infield single to third. That's so dumb. That's I don't know if they'll error. change it, but they're calling it an infield single to third. I would take him out of the game right now. I don't care what his mom and dad think. Bases loaded. Uh, Diamondbacks had a 5-2 lead at the start of this inning. Now it's a 6-5 deficit against the L.A. Dodgers. In the bottom of the eighth. And they're in the bottom of the eighth. And Caleb Smith, two innings, two earned runs. Kevin Ginkle didn't get an out. Gave up two earned runs. Joe Mantiply has already given up three hits, allowing most of those inherited guys to score. Yeah, it's your basic Diamondback bullpen nightmare, pretty much. And grounded at first. Christian Walker touches the base, gets out of the inning. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, who give up a five spot in the bottom of the eighth, this is sad. Went into the inning with a five-one lead and now trail six-five going into. And the top Melanson of the and Kennedy didn't even pitch. Didn't even throw a pitch. They didn't even pitch. Didn't even and they gave up all those runs. And they might not get to anymore. They might not have to now at this point. Yeah. I remember it was five-one. I was talking to Bernsey. Next thing, now the Dodgers are winning. Like what? That like? Yeah, it happened that fast. With wow. this bullpen, it happens that fast. Wow. Tends to. Cliff Kingsbury, yesterday, um, or actually two days ago, Sunday, very proud of Isaiah Simmons and the way he played on Sunday against the Raiders. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Isaiah, um, you know, we asked him to practice better and, and reduce his role this week and said, hey, you got to earn it back. And, I mean, he practiced his tail off. Best week of practice he's had as a pro. And it showed up. He made the, the biggest play of the game. And I'm um, just really proud of him and um, really attacking that challenge like he did. Yesterday when meeting with the media, Kingsbury went into a little bit more detail about Isaiah Simmons a guy who this time a week ago had worn the green dot against Kansas City, didn't wear it well because he played very, very poorly. Then against the Raiders, plays 15 snaps. Read between the lines with some of the stuff that Cliff is saying about Isaiah. I would say he just had his best week of practice. 
I think um, after last week it was an eye opener and, and he got back to the basics and was focused and, and studied and, and worked really hard at practice and came out and played at a high level um, for the things we asked him to do and, and obviously the two plays at the end were, were huge plays and, and really helped us win the game. You know, I don't know, I don't know where they go from from here with him. Um, you know, with that type of talent and the ability to make big plays like that, it's you know, you want the guy on the field, but there must be something, there must be some reason that Vance decided to cut his snaps down to 15 in the game. I mean, look, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but between the two sound bites I've already played, and I'm going to play one more. Um, he was asked the question, Cliff, was if moving Simmons' roll around is giving Simmons whiplash. He said, Simmons, whip- we have whiplash. I think he's giving us whiplash, I would say. You know, like it's, he can be as good as he wants. I'll say that. And he knows that. He knows that's how we feel about him. We've, we've addressed it many times. I think um, it's a commitment to football all day, every day, and, and being the best possible player you can be. And you see the flashes. And I think if he can do that consistently day in, day out, the sky's the limit. And I, I think that's how we've all felt since he's got here. So it was a big step in the right direction and I hope it continues. Look, I, I, I hear those three sound bites, and I hear a player Who's got all the God-given talent in the world, and just isn't applying it the way, and, and and that the coaches felt like they had to do something to let him know he wasn't applying himself the way he so should. Just be. a message. I, I I don't know how else to read it. Like we gave you the responsibility, you had the green dot, you showed you weren't ready for it, and you know what? In retrospect, maybe you were just work weren't working as hard for it as you should have been. So we're gonna make you earn it rather than just give it to you. Okay. We're gonna make you earn it. We're gonna make you earn. It. You need to show us in practice that you're going to earn your playing time. We're going to you're going to show us in practice that you're committed to all football all the time. I mean, I want to play this one from from Cliff again because I think it's all right here if you listen to it. I think he's giving us whiplash. I would say, you know, like it's he can be as good as he wants. I'll say that. And he knows, he can be as good as he wants. He can be as good as he wants. I'll okay. say that. He knows that. He knows that's how we feel about him. We've we've addressed it many times. I think um, we've addressed it many times. It's a commitment to football all day, every day, and, and being the best possible player. You can be and you see the flashes and I think if he can do that consistently day in day out the sky's the limit and I, I think that's how we've all felt since he's got here so it was a big step in the right direction and I hope it continues. I mean the only thing I could take out of that and I'm trying to find out more is we love him we think he's got all the talent in the world but I mean he's just got to be more consistent in practice and in the game he just has to be a more consistent player just you know we love him we think he has all this talent but like he's got to like he has to be a consistent player um, you know you can't you can't have the the mental mistakes on the football field that cost your team. Mm-hmm. You know, blown coverages and missed assignments and things like that because that that frustrates your defensive coordinator to no end. So if that's, I would think that that's the case, right? It's not a physical thing; no, it's a mental no, thing. Absolutely. I mean, physically, he's, he's an incredibly he's a gifted freak. player. Yeah. I mean, that that play is exactly why they drafted him. The sideline to sideline ability. Again, if I go back to that play, they lined up six guys. They were at the 40-yard line. The Raiders are at the 40-yard line, very close to field goal range. You line up six. You have these guys shoot that A-gap because what you're trying to do is you're trying to knock them out of field goal range. Tackle for a loss, sack. You want to knock them out of field goal range. So that's the play. But he's the one guy that peeled back, and he immediately went to the sideline. Renfro escaped a tackle by Jace Whitaker, and as he's stumbling, as he as he was about to get his footing to try to get more yards after the catch, pop! Isaiah Simmons blasted him. 
Blasted him. Lost to football. Byron Murphy picks it up. Game over win. That was a great individual play by Isaiah Simmons. The read, the reaction, everything was perfect. Like, it really was perfect. But I think what Cliff is saying is it's it's got to be, you don't, you don't have to make a play like that every, but you just have to be a consistent player and not have the mental mistakes. I just don't know how you can go from wearing the green dot one week to getting 15 snaps the next week without it being a reflection of how hard you're working, how hard you're trying, the level of commitment you're putting into it. Uh, and and now the question we all want to know is what does this mean moving forward for Isaiah Simmons? I mean, look, he's still one of their physically most gifted players they have on the roster. He's still the number eight pick in the draft from just a couple of years ago. There's still this need for Isaiah Simmons to be great and have a great season. It's got to happen this year. Otherwise, we go into this year, we, we come out of this year, we saw those same questions about Isaiah Simmons. Now you start wrestling with the whole fifth-year options thing? Do you pick it up? Do you not? Nobody wants to go there. I got to imagine they were sending him a message about his level of work ethic yeah. and how hard he was working at it. I, I, I don't know what else the explanation Can't think of anything be. else. Has nope. to be that. Yep. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, one of the members of one of the truly great moments and teams and times in the history of ASU football. It was a long time ago. How do they get back there? Juan Roque will give us his opinion next on the Burns and Gambo show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. It's a shocking weekend for the Arizona State University football program. The loss to Eastern Michigan on Saturday, and then the almost inevitable feel of what happened on Sunday with the firing, resignation, whatever phrase we're using for Perm Edwards, however it actually went down, and then sort of cleaning up in the aftermath of what happened. And at some point yesterday during the show, Gambo and I were talking about it during one of the breaks, and he said, you know, I'd really just like to get the perspective from somebody who was a part of not one of the last good ASU football teams, but one of the last great ASU football teams. You do that, you got to go back to the Rose Bowl year, and to do that, we bring in a consensus All-American in 96, a two-time first-team All-Pac-10 performer, talking about offensive lineman Juan Roque, who joins us here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Juan, I believe we've had you on in the past. Oh, Welcome course back we to the show. How you doing, my friend? Well, I appreciate the introduction, and uh, yes, it's been a little bit of a while. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, all things considered, but uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity to join you guys on the air. It's, it's always a, priv- a privilege uh, and a pleasure. Uh, we, we follow each other. We stay in touch, Juan, so I'm, I'm happy to see that you and your family are doing well, but you are, to thank me, you, yeah, to me, you're a great Sun Devil. You bleed maroon and gold. Uh, you hate to, you. like, you, <laughs> to, so you are one of the truly great Sun Devils. I saw you post the other day. All I have to say right now about Herm being fired is I'm sad and this has to happen. I wanted him to turn it around. I rooted for this team uh, to shut the world up. I support my program 24-7 100%, but that said we had to have change. Something had to give. Last night wasn't a misstep. It was a glaring neon sign that things are not well in Tempe. So I'll just ask you first off just to expand on that. You really did feel like the program needed to make a change. Yeah, I, I think when we when we take the full body of work, and and that's that's not taking into into account Herm's character or his uh, personality. He's a wonderful person. Now, anyone that's been around Herm knows he's a great guy. He's a guy that just you know he changes the environment around him. Um, he's a great personality, but sadly, 
it just didn't translate to college football. And, and I think that uh, maybe to some degree that may have worked against him. Again, I wasn't inside the walls. I wasn't at practices. I wasn't in meetings. Um, but when you see the body of work and you see what was being produced and, you know, year in and year out, there was just some head scratching losses that you would see this team take and you'd go WTF. Like, where did that come from? You know, Wazoo in 2021, BYU in 2021, um, games that you knew we had right there. And for some reason they weren't able to finish. And I can go on and on all the way back to year one, where there was just these head scratching moments that you felt maybe would get corrected. That would maybe teach them lessons and make the team stronger. You know, this is, this has a lot of veteran um, experience on this team right now with Merlin, uh, Swally, you know, so they have pieces in place that have been around the program for a while. And yet we see not only a repeat of a head scratcher, but then an all out meltdown yeah. where you have a mid American conference team come in here and dominate us. I mean, let's call a spade a spade guys. We got dominated Saturday. Let's, That's not supposed to happen. We paid them to come here. Remember that hey, we paid point, that team to come here to kick our asses. I mean, that million. is not the way that that's supposed to work. And when, when you look at that game and you see what happened, it wasn't just the score. There, there was a lot more going on in the trenches. Our defensive lines getting blown into the backfield. I mean, this is a team that averaged 2.7 yards per carry going into the game. Guys, we give up over 300 yards. So when you look at those things and you think Herm's a defensive guy, what is going on? You know, there, there's something not right here, whether it's preparation, it's the messaging, the investigation. I mean, name your name your issue at this point. We don't know what it is. But at the end, I think that loving Herm as much as I do and loving my program the way I do, that had to have been done. That had to get done the way it was. Something needed to change. Something needed to jolt the system of the players, of, of the program, of the community. And sadly, that was the casualty, was Herm. Okay. Uh, after all that's happened with the investigation and so forth, that had to be the conclusion. That was the only conclusion after what happened. All right, I got a few more I want to get in with you. So let, let, let's just talk about from 96 on. You guys went 11-1. and one. You went to the Rose Bowl. Bruce Snyder, you and, and Jake and Keith Poole. It was just a great, great team. It was the best time for ASU football. Why is ASU, from 1996 on, why in your opinion has ASU been unable to be anything other than a mediocre college football program? You know, they always use the term sleeping giant, and it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. Guys, if I could answer that question, I'd apply for the AD job. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like when we make a hire, you know, Dennis Erickson in 2006, and then we had a great year in 2007, and then it just kind of went dead for a few years. And then the year that it was supposed to happen, 2011, we go 6-6 six and six when we started 6-2 and two and had every reason to win the South and just for some reason were not able to finish. Don Crab comes in. You know, afterwards, we have a great 10 and 10 and three year South title. And then we get railroaded by Stanford in the championship game at home. Then the next year we, we get railroaded again, go 10 and three. Yeah, we won the bowl game. But, you know, during the season, there were some shines of some cracks happening. And then, of course, we saw the unraveling at that point. And then in comes Herm with the new model and all the different things that they were wanting to implement. And it just hasn't happened. So, guys, I'll be honest. I don't have the answer. I don't know. It seems like it, when we think we're turning a corner and we think something's going to change for the better, we end up back at square one. And here we are again at square one. Now, what's going to happen now? Who's going to get hired? You, know, you see you know, social media. That's one of the detriments of social media is 
seems like people that are the least qualified have the loudest megaphones sometimes. So some of the names floating around are ridiculous. We know darn well that's not going to happen. But I think that they need to really sit down. And, and if it's going to be Ray or not Ray or whoever it's going to be, Dr. Crow and whether it's Ray Anderson and Gene Boyd or whoever's going to make the decision, they need to take all those things into account that there's a definite need for a change of not only an identity and culture, but in direction. And hopefully they are able to come up with the candidate that's going to be able to do those things. Maybe it's Coach Aguano. We wish him the best. We're all going to rally around him and behind him and, and support our coach and lead us into the rest of the season. And then we'll guess we'll just see where it goes from there. Yeah, Juan Roque, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. My question to you is the investigation and how difficult difficult do you think it will be to get the guy in the midst of the investigation that hasn't wrapped up or or is the next guy you get you know kind of going to be a placeholder until the investigation is passed and then you can really hit the reset button one it's tough to say because we've had examples of coaches taking over programs on probation. You know, Terry Bowden, you know, took over Auburn many years ago and kind of galvanized them and rallied them. You remember, they went undefeated. Um, Bill O'Brien, and I'm not promoting him as a candidate yet, but, you know, he took a Penn State team that was at its lowest point. When you think about what was going on in Penn State 10 years ago, guys, it was a disaster. You know, Penn, Joe Paterno gets fired. We have this horrible Sandusky situation that just literally melted that program to its core down to the ground and income this this guy bill o'brien says i'll take this job they go eight and four seven and five and then of course he trans- transitioned into the nfl so there's been examples of quality men taking over programs that may be at a low point that bring them back up so it, it's the, the body of work has been done it's just a question of who's it going to be and which direction they're going to be and you're right that's going to loom large until it's done until we get some type of final determination is it going to be a heavy-handed you know mallet you know, swing into our program? Is it going to be a wrist slap? We just don't know. We just know that's dragging on. Yeah. It's in year three now or year two or whatever it is. Um, so at some point that's going to conclude, but I think that taking all those things into account, you got to find the right person that's going to be able to elevate you despite these things. Okay, leave me And that's going to be able to focus on the football and focus on the building of the program and bringing in the right quality caliber student athlete here uh, that's just going to focus on getting his degree, getting, getting on the field and getting us to where we need to go. Um, I know that we have all these different things done with the transfer portal and NIL, you know, all this crap that didn't exist when I played. We were just happy to get a uniform and a scholarship huh. and an opportunity to play and win a ring. Things have changed now. So, you know, you got to get the guy that understands all these different elements now and that's going to be able to elevate the program and get it back to a position where we can have positive conversations instead of talking about this crap. Yeah. Juan, we appreciate the time. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for joining us for a few minutes. We appreciate the honesty and the frank talk, okay? Guys, no problem. Anytime, um, appreciate it. And go Devils. And, you know, support by SU all the way. All, all right, way. Juan. Thank you, my friend. Juan Roque joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line on the Burns and Gambo Show, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. When we come back, the Arizona Cardinals are 1-1, one one, which puts them in common with just about everybody else in the NFC. Where do they currently stand compared to everybody else? That's a tricky question. We'll try to answer it next on the Burns and Gambo Show.